Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here in the house with you. Uh, my wife and I have lived here in Idaho now for three months, if you can believe that. Three months here in Idaho. Exactly. Um, I've been coming for, I was coming for the first 12 months before that. And in the transition of the move, uh, it's been an interesting time, uh, just changing from one place to another, moving to another spot. But it feels like home. My wife's from Western Colorado, and it feels very similar to here. And it's a blessing to be here in this church. People ask us, why did you come here? And we say, we came to be a part of a church. And honestly, that's the most truthful answer there is. Uh, We came to be a part of a body of believers that say we want to be disciples following Jesus and walking in his way. Along the way, I I haven't said anything to anyone. My wife knows this, but I lost two really important things in the move. First thing I lost was my passport, which is not a good thing when you own a travel company that takes 300 people overseas every year. That's a bad day. Uh, But glory to God, I found my passport. Uh, And then the second thing I lost was my Bible. I lost my Bible. I had misplaced it, and I had left it, actually. Pastor Doug and Miss Kim had let me stay with them in their house, and they gave it back to me yesterday. I cried. I mean, there were tears. They helped me get through it. I had a pastoral spontaneous visit where Pastor Doug walked me through the terror of going, finally, Harv, you have your Bible. Now could you just preach the Word of God like you're supposed to around here? I think he said something like that. Today we're in Ephesians chapter 1, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. We've looked at Ephesians chapter 1 where it says, God says that you're essential. Uh, Then we went to Ephesians chapter 2 where it says that your faith is essential. Your faith walk is essential to not only you, but to others around you. Then we went into Ephesians chapter 5, and Zach taught us about how marriage is essential, how marriage is God's building block for the human world around us. God built society one relationship at a time, and he said, this is how it starts. Then we went to Ephesians chapter 6 and looked in there where it said that biblical parenting is essential. Why? Because in a biblical home, it's where values are taught. It's where love is learned in a non-sexual way. And it's the place where people are learn, uh, learn the notion of what it means to have character in their lives. Those things are essential. Today, we're going to talk about discipleship because discipleship is essential. Discipleship is essential because it is the pathway to knowing Jesus. Discipleship isn't some great idea thought up by the church. It's actually what Jesus decided was important. And he said this, is that the kingdom of God will come into your life when you learn the pathway of discipleship. Why? Because discipleship unlocks the blessings of God and his abundance in our lives. That's how we get it, is through following Christ in a real and meaningful relationship. You guys ever been to the rental car counter and you know that feeling of being there in that rental car counter and you're excited about your trip and maybe if you're like me, you're hauling along four kids and there's four of us and they're all up there going, did we get the van? Did we get the big car? Did we get this? And do I have to sit by my sister? And you know, all those things that are going on. That's an interesting experience in life and a lot of us have had that experience. Have you guys ever been in a hospital or at a funeral home when someone asked this question? Man, I don't know how people make it as non-believers. You ever felt that? You've thought it yourself, right? It's like, I don't know how you do it as a non-believer. I have a little theory, and I think that non-believers make it in life just like people do when they go to the rental car counter. 
And it's like this, you're all excited, you paid for this trip, you can't wait for it to happen. There were a couple glitches that happened along the way, but you're still excited and the enthusiasm's up. The kids haven't been grinding too hard. You haven't messed up twice and made four wrong turns on the freeway, right? You haven't had all that experience yet. You're just getting there to the rental car and you're excited and you hope you get a car and they tell you, oh, Mr. Friesen, you got this really great upgrade and everything's good. And you get this smile in your face and then your heart and all those sorts of things. And then they get down to the end and what do they ask at the end? What will you do if there's a wreck? What, how, how do you plan on insuring uh, your, your vacation, Mr. Friesen? And you're standing there and you have it already prepared, right? If you're like me, I've already got it ready. And I'm going to tell them, well, number one, my credit card has the insurance. And then they go, well, you know, there was a guy in here last week. He had credit card insurance and he had a wreck and it actually turned out they didn't cover it. So are you sure you want to do that? And I go, well, you know, the cool thing is I've got my own car insurance and the car insurance will take care of me if that insurance doesn't take over. Oh, you know, we had a lady in here last week and she had car insurance and it didn't work. But look, if you want to risk a $35,000 car and all those kinds of things, well, it'd be fine if you want to go ahead and do that. And then what happens is this, you come to that crisis moment and you ask yourself this question, do I have my stuff under control enough to know that I can tell this person no? Or do I give in and just say, Okay, you know, charge me. I know the rental car was only $14 a day, but I know the insurance is $700 a day. And so, yes, I'll take the insurance, right? But a lot of us do what? We go, no, nah, I'm not taking the insurance. I'll risk it. You ever said that to a person? I say it to them once in a while just to get back at them, right? For all of us, I go, no, no, today, you know what? I'm feeling lucky. I'm going to risk it. And they look and they're like running through their little memo. Of, well, I don't have a response for I'll risk it. Uh, sure, buddy. Uh, have a great time. And, uh, you know, the guy in that blue car that we set up to come out right in front of you at the stoplight up there, you might want to not, you know, you know, hit him because that's our first little dodge we've got in the way for you. That's how non-believers do life. They get out there on that freeway. They start moving along as fast as they can. The kids are squawking and talking in the back, right? Uh, the, their spouse is sitting in the car with them, looking at the map, and they're asking, do you know where you're going? And, and, and the guy says, yeah, I know where I'm going. Don't ask me if I know where I'm going. We've been here before and done all this. Sort of... That is how non-believers do life. I know, because I've been one. I know, because I've lived that. And you know that feeling when you didn't get the insurance? Anybody here never get the insurance? right? And you walk out and you go, I'm going to be just fine, right? Until someone whacks you in the face. That's how non-believers do life. Ephesians 4 has a better way. Look with me. I'm going to show you these verses. I'm reading out of the Amplified Version this morning. So Paul says this, so I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live in a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called worthy of the life that you've been called to. We were all called to know God. He's saying, live in a way that is worthy of that calling. What does that calling worthiness look like? To live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. Those are the things that Paul had in his heart, and those are the summation of what it means to live that life, a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. That is what it means to say that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that we're going to live a life worthy of our calling. But if you're like me, what you do in life is, is that we do just enough, right? Just enough living. I'll do just enough to stay healthy. I'll do just enough to stay married. I'll, still, I'll do just enough to be happy. I'll do just enough to keep my job. I'll do just enough life. And here's the problem, is that when we do just enough Jesus... 
we're worse off than if we'd not done him at all. Because just enough Jesus is a brokenhearted, no blessing, wondering where God really is. I've tried this and it doesn't work kind of life. He says, that's what we're to do. And he says, okay, so this is what we're doing. And he says, well, this is how we do it. How do we do it? We do it with humility because we know where we've come from. We do it with gentleness, maintaining self-control. Don't ask me about my events of this week. Harv had an episode. Uh, with patience, Lord have mercy, bearing with one another in unselfish love. So that's how we're to do it. So this is what we do. This is how we do it. And then he says, by the way, here's the goal. The goal is this, make every effort to keep oneness of the spirit of God in the, band of pe in the bond of peace. How do we keep that oneness? It's we, we keep it because Jesus Christ is in our lives and he's giving us the capacity to have godly character through his spirit. He's blessing us with moral courage when we face those moments. Everybody's a person of integrity. Just don't test mine. I've got it, but let's don't make today a test. We ask for personal integrity, and God comes along and says, okay, Har, let me teach you a little bit about that. That's discipleship, is that Jesus comes along and says, hey, I, I, I'm your insurance. Uh, I, you bought it. I'm in. And it's not about fire insurance. It's about going to heaven or hell. This is about insurance to say, I have a God who says, not only will I insure your life, I'll come sit in the car of your life. That's discipleship. You guys ever get asked this question, what do you do for work? You know that, you know, all the guys in the room, right? We, we, we show up at a meeting, we're going to be at somewhere, we're meeting new people and all those kinds of things, or we show up at a family gathering or whatever, and they ask the question, first question they invariably ask uh, of a guy is, hey, what do you do, right? I want to summarize your life, I want to sum you up, I want to judge you, I want to put you in comparison to myself, and so I want to ask you, what do you do? You know that feeling, right? Whenever someone asks me that in front of my wife, she goes, oh gosh, she's going to say this again. My first answer, if I want to be funny about it, is I say I work in a multinational company or organization. We're all across the world. We've got offices in every city. We're in every country. Uh, we're a big deal. And they're like, really? Wow. I mean, like, they keep looking like they're thinking Intel or Coca-Cola or something like that. And I said, well, I'm a pastor of a local church, man. We're all over the place. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Now, people ask me, what do you do for work? And you know what I do is I answer the question, if you were honest, and I would say short of that one-tenth of one percent that are so driven, that are so driven with the idea of success that they could never answer this way. But 99.99% of us answer this way. What do I do? I do as little as possible. That's what we all do. What do you do? I do as little as I do as little as possible to make sure I cover my nut every month. I do as little as possible to make sure that mama's happy and the kids are happy and everybody in the back of that rental car, they're all happy. We do just enough, right? Let me just say this is that the discipleship you are called to is so much better than just enough living. The discipleship you're called to is filled with more than enough. Blessed be the name of God who walks with us through our failures and doesn't stick it in our face constantly, who sees us put a ding on that front bender, uh, front, uh, have a fender bender and, have, and put a front end ding on that and doesn't shame us for the next six weeks and talking about it. The God who loves us is the one who comes along and says, I'll do this life with you. Discipleship is this. It's the with God life. I'm going to do it with him and I want him to do it with me. 
Unfortunately, what we do is we do just enough Jesus. We say, well, I'll take just enough Jesus to get into heaven. I'll take just enough Jesus to get the benefit package to make sure that whenever I hit a home run, I go like this rather than go like this, right? You ever seen me hit a home run and point down? I mean, come on, you have to believe there's somebody who went that way, right? But everybody who hits a home run, all their friends are saved. I'm wondering, I just want to hit a home run. That way I'll go, I know my friends are saved, Right? We want to do just enough to get by so that Jesus will bless us. We want to do just enough so that God loves us and cares about us, but we don't want to do so much that he starts meddling in our lives. Because when he starts meddling in our lives, we're like, yeah, then all of a sudden, like, a little blurred outs at a company party where I go, man, thank God. Wait, what did he say? Or, wow, God is good in my life. We want just enough Jesus so that we can believe there are palm trees in heaven because that means there'll be the perfect temperature. We want just enough Jesus so that we can have good food in heaven because God's got to be a foodie because he made all that stuff. He made bacon. I had someone on one of my trips to Israel ask me this last week. They go, you know, I've heard the food in, in, in Israel. I've heard they don't have bacon. I'm like, yeah, they're Jewish. They don't have bacon in Israel. Is that going to be a non-starter for you? Are you maybe going to come off the trip, or how are we going to do with this? I kept waiting for them to ask this question. Just tell me there's bacon in heaven, right? I mean, heaven is one big bacon festival. I'll take some bacon with my bacon with the bacon. And could you put a little bacon on the side of that? We want God to make heaven the way we want it to be. We want puppies to be in heaven because puppies hashtag are heaven, Right? We want all of that, and we want to do just enough to get there, but we don't want so much Jesus that he starts doing this crazy thing of putting his music on in the rental car. Jesus is going to put the music on in the rental car? Really? I want enough of you, but don't change my music. I want enough of you, but don't change my marriage. I want enough of you, but don't mess with my finances. I want enough of you, but could you just give me good kids? Because I just want good kids. I'm a good person. Can my kids just turn out okay? Would that be all right? I mean, we barter with this just enough Jesus and say, God, just make it just enough. And God comes along and says, son, I am so much more than just enough. Because here's the weird thing that happens. When you settle for just enough Jesus, we also begin to settle for just enough to stay married. And we settle for just enough to stay employed. And we settle for just enough to keep the peace. And we settle for just enough to make sure my life doesn't get screwed up and messed up and end up in trouble. The problem with just enough living is this. Ready? You're now on the merry-go-round with everybody else who's clinging on and holding for just enough. And you know what that is in a religious circle? That's righteous self-piety. I'm just enough. I'm good enough to get into heaven. You know what that is in a secular world? It's dog-eat-dog. You know the question I keep wanting to ask the world that's around us? You force-fed, you down my kid's throat the notion of evolution and that that's how it works. And that the moment that there are different things that play out in the world around us, where people have to compete against each other and there's a struggle and a difficulty and all those things in life, you then say, no, 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 everybody's gotta be just perfect. We hand out ribbons, everybody gets a ribbon, everybody gets a ribbon. You're the ones that force-fed my family evolution. You don't really believe that, do you? Because I don't think in the heart of people they really believe it. I think in the heart of people they know that there's a dignity that comes from our God. The dignity that we have from our God would be the one thing that I would say to you and encourage you, and that is this, is that don't settle for just enough because God gave you dignity, not just a blob of cells. 
God gave you a life, not just uh, uh, having to make a life, not just having to make a living. God said, go make a life. And there's a big difference between the two of those. There's a lady named Kathy Caprino. She's a senior contributor to Forbes magazine. She did a study of 771 people, 771 people. And she asked them this one question. If you could say any word, if you could say, if you could say in one word, what would you want more of in your life? What would that be? One word. She came up with eight words that were the top of the list. Here they are. If you're following along in the notes, they're right there with you. There are, there are these eight things that they want. By the way, I put the link to her, to her uh, article as well. You can go see it online. She said the thing that people want the most is happiness, confidence, fulfillment, joy, freedom, peace, balance, and money. That's what the secular world came up with. We want all of those things. Weird part was I started reading that and thinking to myself, this is interesting. That's exactly what it sounds like that God starts to offer those things of giving you confidence and giving you instead of just happiness, which is happenstance, which is based on circumstance, is that he offers you joy. But the world doesn't know that word, so it said this one. We want fulfillment. We want to know that our life mattered, that we did something, that those ones and zeros we're typing in actually made a difference. We want to have freedom in our lives. We want to have balance in our lives. Of course, we always want more money in our lives, and we want peace. This is a secular survey. As I got to watching that and read through it, one of the things that was very interesting is, is that she said something very, very significant. She said, it's very hard to sustain those things. People feel them frequently, but it's really hard to keep them. Instead of being that clear, they become that fuzzy. You see, one of the things about the law of diminishing returns is that the more you grasp for it, the more you need of it, and the more you need of it, instead of really wanting to have it, what you want is just the feeling associated with that. And so what happens is, is that we get a world that lives in this fog and in this haze and in this fuzzy kind of world. And along comes Jesus on our computer screen and tacks up this little yellow sticky note. And he brings in John 10, 10. And he says to us, by the way, a thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came to give you life and life in all its fullness. Discipleship is saying, I want the full life. If you offered it, I want all of it. God offered it, friends. And it's not a bait and switch. It's not a bait and switch at any level. In fact, God's saying, I offer the things that your soul longs for, because this, while it's a secular survey, really is this. It's an ask into the heart of every person who's alive. What do we want? Now, here's the cool part, is that God not only says, I'll offer these, but I'll offer them to you in your marriage. I'll offer them to you in your parenting. I'll offer them to you in your work world. I'll offer them to you when you're driving down the road wondering why in the world am I just a working stiff doing what I'm doing. God, who loves you, invites you to be his disciple. There's a powerful thing that happens in that process, and that is this, is that discipleship sneaks up on you to where at some point, all of a sudden, you start feeling more peace. All of a sudden, you start feeling more joy. All of a sudden, you start experiencing that because that's called the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God actually endows us with those blessings. There's moments when you've had just an incredible day and you don't have any idea why it was. And you'll find out later that someone in your life was praying for you because the Holy Spirit was activated to pray and to bless and to encourage and to strengthen your life. Look, I don't live a perfect life. I've never had a perfect life. In fact, I've had more two by fours to the face than I've ever had some beautiful edifice built in front of me by the snap of my fingers. Life is 
difficult. It is. But that's why he offered us discipleship. I wouldn't trade my life with any of you. I wouldn't trade my life with anyone. I wouldn't trade my life because you know what's happened in my life? A long time ago, I took God up on this idea. If you will follow me, I will walk with you and I will show you abundance in living. It's called discipleship. Is it flowers and daisies and puppies and good food and bacon all the time? It's not. I mean, you know, a little bit of bacon never hurt anyone, but it's not bacon all the time. And it's not good all the time. It's difficult. But I've learned to make Jesus three things in my life. You ready? The savior of my life, the Lord of my life, and the practical leader of my life. The savior of my life, the Lord of my life, and the practical leader of my life. Discipleship is one of those things where what I've learned to do is I'm not a person of prayer. I'm a person of action. I mean, all you got to do is read my Lemon Leadership Survey, and you'll note that I wake up in the morning going, okay, let's do something. And Sally has been that person in my life that says, I know you want to just do something. Maybe you should figure out the right something to do. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, go live, have a great day, Harv, go do all those sorts of things. I'm that person that wakes up saying, let's get on with it. One time I was sitting with Shally, and I'm, I'm, I'm an ideas guy, and I love opportunities, and I love doing different things. I mean, I, I, we just do. I, I mean, God made me for action. And Shally said to me one time, I, she said, you have more ideas uh, before breakfast, don't you? And I go, yeah. She goes, tell me some. I get to about 14 or 15. She's like, I can't hear another word. I just want to know this. Are you going to come home uh, tonight having done your job, and are we going to have enough food for tomorrow? You know the difference between a man with a great idea and a large pepperoni pizza? I'm not sure about the man with a great idea, but I know a large pepperoni pizza will feed a family of four. Right? I have all kinds of great ideas. What prayer did is that prayer taught me to believe that God has better ideas than me. You know what I had learned is that I learned to read the Bible, not just run through the Bible. I learned to expose the word of God to my life so that I would actually have truth to live by rather than just making it up on the fly. I learned to risk having Jesus be welcomed into my decision making so that I don't just make decisions, but I actually invite him to lead my life. We have all these great plans, but God can become the leader of our lives. I've learned to risk God in my marriage, in my work, in my thought life, in all those places. I said, God, you can lead. I'm willing to do that. Because if you go back to the rental car thought, it's this. If Jesus Christ is riding in the car with me, I think he'll do a better job because he's a local wherever he goes. He's a local wherever he goes. I learned as well to let God lead my life to serve him. I don't have a perfect life. If you think any of us pastors have perfect lives, you have a misunderstanding of discipleship. We know a perfect God who's willing to perfectly invite himself into our lives if we will let him be the leader. And then from there, go get them, boys. Go get them, girls. Get on with it. That's discipleship. Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. Lord, encourage me. Some of you are doing this and you're walking in it, let me encourage you, there's a next place where God wants to let you let go and let him lead. I guarantee you that is. If the Lord is your savior and the Lord is your Lord and he is your leader, there's undoubtedly, if your life is like mine, he's got another place where he goes, you know that one part you've been holding on to for forever, Harv? Let me in. I can do work there. If you're a believer like that, let him in. Your step today, one step closer. Lord, that thing I've been wondering about, I can't. The thing, and here's, what, here's how you know which one it is. It's the one you worry about the most. You know what worry is? Worry is praying to yourself. Worry is praying to yourself. You're saying, man, if this and that and whatever and like that. And here's the problem. You're worrying to the person that has absolutely no capacity to handle what you're worrying about. 
That's what the world does. That's what the world teaches us. Prayer is saying, I will take my worries to the maker who made me and I will ask him to lead me. If you're doing life, let him lead you one step further. Whatever you're worrying about, that's the one place he'd love to join you today. Maybe you're the person who said, you know, Jesus is my savior. That's it. I got him. I bought the insurance. I'm good. I can, I can drive through life however I want to. I can hit you. You guys ever see that part in that movie where the two ladies are upset in the parking lot and the lady just rams into the other lady. She's like, what are you doing? She goes, I bought the insurance. <laughs> if Jesus is only your savior, we can have the tendency to get a little bit cocky about life and just go, I'm saved. It's all good. It'll figure out. Palm trees and puppies, baby. That's what's waiting for me, and I can't wait. I'd like to have one of these when I get there. If Jesus is just your Savior, I will say this to you. No offense. You're probably the most hurting, confused person in the room today because you've accepted what he's done for you, but you've never let him take you to the place where he wants you to know his salvation on a daily basis. You're sitting here on first base, connected to God, and he keeps giving you the steal signal or the go signal, and you keep going, I'm standing on first base. Hear me on this, ready, ready? You don't get any runs for first base. You know what first base is? It's trying. You don't get paid for trying. God says, keep moving and keep walking. So maybe you know Jesus as your savior. If you know him only as your savior, risk going on to that next place, risk going to second base, risk saying, you know what? I will walk with him because I want to receive him. Where does that start? It starts right in that water. It starts right in that water. Heaven be filled with all kinds of people, all kinds of people, but it will be filled with people that have humbled themselves and went to the baptistry, not because the water saves you, not because the water saves you, but because the baptistry shows you that you are to submit to him and to follow him to lead your life. We let the old self die. We let the new self begin. Today be a great day to ask God, hey, Lord, would you start leading my life? I want you to see a verse that's out of Matthew, or Mark chapter 8 that really shapes the way that works. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples. Notice this is evangelism. He's already got his disciples there. He says to those people who don't know him, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your old way, take up your cross, and that is let the old self die, and follow me. If any of you want to hang on to your old life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for your old life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel or the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit to gain the whole world but to lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Let him go to the next place. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. And then there's some of you that have never said, I'm going to let him in. I don't need a savior, I'll save myself. Remember we talked about heaven and it goes through the baptistry, not because the baptistry saves you, but because humility is learned in that water and surrender is displayed in that water. Here's the thing, heaven we feel all kinds of people, but heaven is not a place where you enter because you did enough to get in. If you read the scripture, it's not that way. If you look at all the other religions of the world, all the other religions of the world say you can earn your way in. Jesus says, you can't, here I'll pay for you. I'll pay for you. I'll pay for you. Jesus is on offer for those of us who are following him as the Lord and Savior and leader. Jesus is on offer for those of us who've just said Savior. And Jesus is on offer for people who said, no, I'll make my way in on my own. And he's offering it through this, be his disciple. Be his disciple. In the process of life, one of the things that we learn is that Jesus comes along 
and does a thing that no one else has ever done. All the other religious leaders of the world said, I'll show you the way. Jesus said, I am the way. All the other religious leaders said, go try this. Jesus said, I am this. And if you'll walk in me, I will know you and the Father will know you because I have known you as well. I've been to Jerusalem more times than I can count and I've been to the place of the resurrection and I've seen that place in that moment and the celebrated and I've never seen anybody in any of the curio shops ever say that they had any of his body that they could offer because Jesus Christ is no longer here. He went to be with the Father. He raised from the dead. We'll do another sermon sometime on why we can believe the resurrection. But, uh, but in Romans chapter 10, it says this about being saved and about coming to Jesus. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the beginning of that road to the resurrection in your life as well. There's another verse that I want you to see, and that is John chapter 1, verse 12, says this, but to as many as who did receive him and welcome Jesus, he gave the right and the authority, the privilege to become children of God, that is to those who believe in, adhere, trust in, and rely on his name. His name. His name. His is the name. One of the most beautiful blessings I've had in my life is that I've encountered people along the way in the process of discipleship, in the journey of following Jesus. There's a really good friend I met in early 2000s uh, named Pat Manson. Pat Manson's right up here on the stage. Pat Manson's a Colorado kid. He grew up in Colorado. Uh, he was a pole vaulter. This is a picture of him at one of the world championships Was he was vaulting there. Uh, sorry, not one of the world championships, but this is on the European Grand Circuit. This picture is a picture of my buddy Pat. Well, Pat and I became friends, and then we became disciple mates as well. We got into a small group, and we disciple with each other, and we grew in the faith, and we grew in the walk, and then we did something else, and that is our, our wives and us got together, and the four of us and another couple, and we started a marriage ministry where what we did was is we said, what would it look like if we took 12 couples a year, and we just walked for a year with you through the process of allowing Jesus to lead in your marriage? So we took 12 couples, we ended up with 96 couples, 94 of them are still married to this day. And the premise was this, we're not just here to survive, we are here to thrive. And part of what inspired me was that Pat was a man of passion about his life, still is a man of passion about his life. Uh, before I met Pat, he had trained, worked out, and methodically became one of the very best pole vaulters in the world. At the time we met uh, and became friends and started discipleship, he was competing as a world-class athlete. Pat's goal was this. Hear me on this, disciple. Hear me. Pat's goal was to win a gold medal. That's what he wanted to win. Let me share with you a few of his accolades. In high school, Pat was uh, the Stein, uh, uh, this is him in college, but before he got to college, in high school, he was a Steinmark Award winner. He won the best scholar athlete in the state of Colorado his high school year. He set the national record for high school pole vaulting. Just last year, his son beat it by a half inch. It's beautiful. If you're a father and you're in discipleship, you want your children to get ahead of you. You want them to. You want them to. I was there the day. I, my fastest pitch was 88, 89. I was there the day when I sat behind the gun and I watched my son throw 90 and he came off the field and I looked at him. I said, son, the gun said 90. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah. And he went, oh, dad, I'm sorry I beat you. And I said, you were meant to beat me. 
You know what discipleship is? You cheer on those people around you and say, keep going, you'll do better than I did. That's parenting and discipleship. Patton College earned a scholarship, not only in athletics, but also in academics uh, from the University of Kansas. He was the NCAA Division I seven times. He was an All-American. He set the record at 18-6 and 18-8. And he was a Big 8 Conference champion. Pat went on from there to play professionally or to compete for, uh, professionally. And here are all the things he was. He was ranked number one in the U.S. in 96. He was 10 years on the circuit. He was a three-time gold medalist at the Pan American Games. He won two world champion, or sorry, he went to two world championships for the United States, and he got sixth place in the world championships in 97. He won a 98, he won a bronze medal at the Goodwill Games. He world record, he set a record in 2007 of 22 consecutive years. Think about this record. It's a record of consistency and staying out of goal, right? He set a world record of 22 years of going over 18 feet. His personal best was 19 two and a quarter, and he was a five-time Olympic trials competitor. As a father, one of the cool things about Pat along the way to his goal for being a gold medalist is that this is his wife, Amy. Amy was a three-time Olympic trials qualifier in both the marathon and the 5K. She could know how to do it for five, and she knew how to do it for 26 two. Right along the way, she sits on the national board of the of the Alliance for Positive Coaching Models in the United States, doing it in a positive manner. Their son Max went on to win a national championship as a high schooler and two state championships in Colorado. Their daughter Mia won three national championships and a third national uh, and three Colorado championships. He now vaults for for Stanford, and Mia is in Ann Arbor pole vaulting for Michigan. You know one of the coolest things about the Manson house? You go into their house and you go into, the, uh, into one of the bathrooms, the bathrooms where the kids would all go in, and there are all these tiles that they made about scripture verses and positive thoughts about how you can compete to be your best. Pat's goal was to win a national champion or uh, uh, Olympic gold medal. But along the way, when he finished his career, we sat down in my office and we prayed about what God's direction was next for in his life. And he had other friends who were consulting and guiding him and all like that. And he said, I have this crazy idea, Harv. Do you think that it would be cool with God if I took all my pole vaulting gifts instead of just working as an electrical or environmental engineer, you think that he would bless me to do something with what, he, what he's given me in sports? And I said, Paul, I said, Pat, let's have the audacity to pray that God will bless you to use what you've been good at in your life for others. Hear discipleship in the background? So he started Above the Bar Pole Vault Club. Here's what Above the Bar Pole Vault Club did last year. 48 state champions around the United States were in his club. Of the 10 championships offered in the state of Colorado last year, eight of them were Above the Bar kids. He's had 65 state champions in Colorado alone and 48 across the country last year as well. Above the Bar. But I want you to see something here. Is that you see that place right there? You know where Pat trained? In the back of our church. And you see that cross that sits in the middle? And you see what's so amazing is? Is that above the bar in Pat's life is the cross. In your life, what's above the bar? Your success, your, your physique, your money. What's above the bar for you? I want you to see a quick story about their lives for just a moment that was put on by one of the news channels about how they have employed discipleship into everything that they do in their lives. Watch this with me. 
A missed season meant a missed opportunity for Mia Manson. My main goal for the season was to state, uh, set the state record, um, which was 39. You see, records are a family tradition for the Mansons. We can start all the way back in 1986 when a young Pat Manson vaulted 17 feet 3 inches for Aurora Central. Got to the state meet, it was actually a little rainy and cool, so I didn't know if I was going to get to jump high there. And I was able to get over that bar that stood until that guy. <laughs> been trying to coach lots of kids to get that record. I want somebody to get that record. And, uh, I didn't think it possibly would still be there when my own son got there. And... But it was. Fast forward to the spring of 2019, and it was Max Manson's turn to make history once again, only a half inch higher. I had that bar in my mind for a long time and just watching you know, the people my dad was coaching take tries at it, and it was just really cool to finally get there, and everything just kind of dialed in, and it went really well, so it was a fun day. While Mia's chance of setting a state record was revoked, she did bring home a Junior Olympic medal last summer, propelling her into the international spotlight. Jumping at the Junior Olympics and jumping above 13 again for the first time in a while was so much fun, and it was so exciting. It was a big win for the whole family, as her coach and father, Pat, stood right by her side. We were able to be coach and athlete at the track, and then when we come home, we take off the coach hat. While Amy tries to call herself the snack mom when it comes to vaulting, she's actually one of the best track stars in the family. As a youth track coach focusing on building character, Amy ensures her own children are doing it for the right reasons. I know for Pat and I, um, it was so important to make sure that we are enjoying it. I mean, you don't want to work hard and, and go through the sort of perseverance you need to go through the ups and downs unless you're really enjoying it. The journey may lead as far as the Olympic trials for the kids later this year, but for now, the Mansons are just enjoying the ride as a family. Ariel Orsuto, Nine News. Discipleship in the Church of Jesus Christ is learning to enjoy the ride as a family because we're rooting for each other. Your discipleship, your discipleship, your followership, your walking with God, all those things, get it, hear me, are essential. The world says they're not. Jesus says they are. The Mansers aren't perfect people. They made mistakes along the way. But you know what Pat said at the end of his career? And you know what he said to me not too long ago? He said, Harv, I never won a gold medal. I never won a gold medal. But I had a great life along the way. Discipleship, we get a gold medal. We'll go to heaven someday. But you'll have a great life along the way, not because it's perfect, not because it's easy, but because Jesus is with you in the car. In fact, he's driving. That's following Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.